Turn with me in your Bible this morning to Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to read together the first 14 verses. Philippians chapter 3, commencing to read at verse 1. Reading, of course, from the authorized version. The best and most reliable, faithful translation of the Holy Scriptures from the original Hebrew and the Greek. Philippians chapter 3. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ? Yea, doubtless. And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but done, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, be made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 14. And we pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own infallible and inerrant word. Now my text this morning is taken from Philippians chapter 3 and the verse 10. And my theme today is remembering the ultimate goal in the Christian life. Now, someone has wisely stated that one of the most dangerous forms of error is forgetting what one is trying to achieve. And that is especially true in the Christian life. It's so easy in the Christian life to get sidetracked to be moved off center, to lose sight of what our goal is. Every Christian needs to be clearly focused at all times what it is we are after and what we are trying to achieve. So I asked the question this morning rhetorically, what is the ultimate goal 
of the Christian life? Is it to become rich? So you could live like a millionaire or a billionaire? Is it to have the most satisfying and rewarding job ever? Is it to be the most highly educated individual you can be? Is it to have real power and influence that affect people's lives? Like a prime minister or a king? Is it simply just doing exciting things like climbing Mount Everest or visiting Bondi Beach in Australia or driving through the Sahara Desert in a car or riding a camel? And the answer is no. A thousand times no. The Christian's greatest and ultimate goal in life, his ongoing, continuous goal, is found in the words of my text. Now look at your Bible. Listen to what it says. Verse 10, Philippians 3, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Here's the Apostle Paul, and he is sharing his personal testimony with the Philippian believers. He has shared it before in the Bible, Acts 22 and Acts 26. Now he's sharing it again with the whole of the Philippian church and with us. He's telling us here in this third chapter there was a time when he wasn't a true believer, when he, when he wasn't a real Christian, when he was not saved by the grace of God, even though he was respectable and religious and had rituals galore. He also tells us there was a time when he came to know Christ, when he entered into a saving relationship with him. And now he's telling us, he's also telling the whole church at Philippi that this is his ongoing, continuous, ultimate goal, and that is to know more of Jesus Christ, to know him intimately, to know him better, to know him in a greater manner, to know him in a deeper way, to, to know him in a stronger way. You see, true Bible believing Christianity is not about following a set of rules, it's not about performing certain rituals. It's nothing to do with one's race. It's not even about embracing religion. No, it's a personal, living relationship with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And that relationship leads to our growing in conformity to him. So the Christian's greatest goal is to know Christ and to grow to be like him. You see, the Apostle Paul cannot get past Jesus Christ. In the 14 verses that I read in your hearing this morning, I trust that you pick up the many times there was references to Christ. There are seven direct references to Christ. You see, as far as Paul was concerned, nobody else mattered. Nothing else mattered to him. Jesus Christ was his all in all. He's thrilled that he knows Christ. He's thrilled that he's got the love of God in his heart. He's thrilled to be in the service of Jesus Christ. And he simply can't stop talking about 
his Lord. He yearns after Christ. You see, the Apostle Paul has got beyond the politic of the day. He's got beyond economics and the money markets. He's got beyond even the difficulties in his life that he is facing. And remember, he's in prison as a prisoner of Nero in Rome because of it. he's a faithful preacher of the gospel that, that you must be born again and washed in the blood. He's got beyond what the leading celebrities of the first century were saying or doing. He's not into the drama of the day or the music of the day or even the, the, the sports of the day. No, he has got one ultimate goal, and that is to yearn after Christ. Think of these words, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And I put it to you this morning, that is the ultimate goal or ought to be the ultimate goal in every Christian's life. And can I say this morning, we need to get beyond the politics of the day. We need to get beyond the economic situation and the financial matters that's happening in the markets. And we need to certainly get beyond what the celebrities are saying and doing and stop being influenced by them. And we need to get beyond what's happening in the sports arena and in the pop world and in the film industry. And we need to adopt this mindset that my greatest goal in life as a Christian, if I am saved and belong to the Lord, is to get to know him intimately, better, deeper, stronger, and in a real intimate way. So, so that's our theme for today. There's four little thoughts that came to mind as I thought about this text of Scripture. First of all, there's a desire to know more of the person of Christ. Paul says that I may know him. Now think of that. Remember, the goal of the Christian life is to know Christ in his person and work. Who he is, what he is like, and what he has done. And we can even throw in a fourth thing. Why has he done this? Remember the Lord Jesus said in John 17, verse 3, This is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom ye have sent. As I've said in the introduction, true Bible-believing Christianity is a growing relationship with the true and the living God who has revealed himself through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now think of a, a relationship. See, the Apostle Paul had a deep interest in Christians. People's lives mattered to him. Paul was hurt when they were hurt. Paul suffered when they suffered. Paul felt empathy and sympathy with the people of God. And, and individuals mattered. You only have to read Romans chapter 16 and the long list of individuals that he mentioned. He had a deep interest in churches, especially the ones that he helped found under God. He prayed for them. He, he, he wrote 14 letters in the New Testament out of the 27. And, and they were directed mainly to churches. He had a deep interest in Christian workers. The letter to Timothy. 
the letter to Titus, to name but two. But he had a deeper interest in getting to know Christ. Beyond the Christians, beyond the churches, beyond the Christian workers, he had a deep interest in getting to know Christ, of being in a personal relationship with him, of being in a saving union with him. Think of Paul's introduction to Christ. You see, Paul's introduction to Christ wasn't planned. It wasn't something he proposed in his heart. The Lord Jesus just suddenly one day broke into Paul's life and introduced himself to him. Remember in Acts 9, as he neared Damascus, that's important. At noonday, there's the time. So we've got the place and the time. The Lord Jesus, as the crucified, risen Lord of glory, came and introduced himself to this man who he had a murderous heart. No one as Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus wasn't seeking him. Saul of Tarsus didn't want to know him. This man's proud of his religion. I'm a Jew. This man's proud of his race. This man's proud of his respectability. I'm blameless according to the law. This man was proud of his rituals. But in that day when the living crucified Christ revealed himself, he asked this question, who art thou, Lord? And he got the answer, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Hard for thee to kick against the bricks. And then the second statement was, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? You see, that day, at that moment, in that place, on, on the road, having heard the voice and seen the light and realized this is the living, risen Christ who was crucified, in that moment, instantaneously, Paul trusted him. Paul fell in love with Christ. And from that very moment, there was born in his heart a yearning to know him better, in a greater manner, in a deeper, a more intimate way. Now, let me ask you this morning. Was there a time place, an occasion in your life when you were introduced to Christ. When Christ came and revealed himself to you, you had a face-to-face -face encounter with the living Christ and he showed you you were a sinner who needed to be saved. He showed you that you had an immortal soul that lived throughout all the ages of eternity. He showed you that you needed to be saved from your sin. That's your biggest problem. It's penalty, it's power, it's pleasure and one day from his presence. He showed you that he alone is the only saviour of sinners. Remember the read in the Bible, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul says, of whom I'm the chief. He showed you that God's salvation is not found in religion. No, it's found in a relationship. That's why, to be honest with you, when I read about Sinead O'Connor converting from Catholicism to being a, a Muslim, so she's converting from one religion to another, I, I thought, how sad. Because true Christianity isn't about religion. I would never ask you to join a religion. I invite you to a relationship, a personal, intimate relationship with the God of heaven through faith in Jesus Christ. And this relationship's more about just having a head knowledge. It's more about than theological propositions that are true, although I believe in theological propositions that are true about Christ. It's more than that. This is about a personal Deep, intimate, practical, life-treasuring knowledge of Christ. There was a day when Paul was introduced to him. And I'm asking this morning, have you been introduced to Christ? Not only 
Think of Paul's introduction to Christ, but think of Paul's intimacy of Christ. You see, in the Christian life, as I'm trying to say to you this morning, we, we are to grow and to develop our knowledge of him in that relationship. See, the Bible counsels us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, that we are to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, now think with me this morning. You see, in any human relationship, there's an initial introduction. And then in that relationship, you, you grow and, and you cultivate in that relationship. Think of being introduced to the girl of your dreams. Boys, she's absolutely stunning and outstanding as far as your eyes is concerned. But you never see her again. You never speak to her. You never spend time with her. Well, you couldn't say, well, you're in a relationship with her, could you? It would be all in your head. But imagine then not only being introduced to the girl of your dreams, but meeting with her at other times, talking to her face to face, spending time with her, getting to know her by conversation and shared experience, learn about her family, learn about her likes and her dislikes, learn about her hopes for the future. And even in that relationship, if you do have a fallout, then you go and say, I'm sorry, I've sinned against you, and ask for forgiveness, and work out the difficulties. Well, you see, in that human relationship, it's the same with Christ. We've got to grow and cultivate that relationship. There's a story told about a woman in the United States of America, and she was in a very bad place in a particular town late at night, and she missed her bus. And that would be very sad. No other buses. And there was a homeless man, and he saw her plight, and he came out of the shelter that he, he was sleeping in, in a cardboard box, and came over to her, and she was very wary of him, very scared, and he told her, he said, look, don't be afraid. Um, I know there's a wee coffee shop that's still open. See, in America, you can get coffee 24-7. It's not a good thing. A bit like, I suppose, our McDonald's. And um, he took her to this little coffee shop, and he said, now, the next bus is not the 5 a.m. in the morning, so you're going to have to stay in this wee shop to 5 a.m. And he says at 5 a.m., I'll come back and I'll make sure you get on the right bus because there'll be loads of buses. And true enough, at 5 a.m., the homeless man came back, the girl saw him coming, and he said, follow me, and he took her to where the bus would be, and he got on the right bus, and she got home safely. And of course, somehow, someway, this was reported to the media. And of course, when the media get the hold of the story, um, some media, maybe not like the biased BBC, but that's another story. And they got hold of this and they started to talk about it. So they were asking questions. Who was the homeless man? Why was he homeless? Is there any way he could be helped? And there was a whole conversation then in social media and in other means to, to try and track him down. Who can he be? And why is he on the street? And how can we help him? Do you see what I mean? There was just an initial introduction to a homeless man and the woman didn't know his name. But what followed from that was the cultivation of a relationship. I want to know more about him. Well, well, you see, that's the same with Christ. We can learn about his eternal sonship. Remember, God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. God only has one, only begotten son. 
Now he has many sons, those in Christ, but he's only one, only begotten son, and his name is Jesus Christ. We could learn about his virgin birth, how that God incarnate became a man. We could learn about his true humanity. He was a real man, a a righteous man, a remarkable man. We could learn about his sinless life. He did no sin. He knew no sin. In him was no sin. We could learn about his atoning death on Mount Calvary. We we could learn about his resurrection power, his ascension back to heaven, his ministry of intercession on our behalf, his coming to the earth to set up his kingdom as king of kings. See, when I think of Christ in heaven as our high priest, I'm thinking of one who's tender this morning, one who's patient, one who's kind, one who's good, one who's merciful. Doesn't the Bible say, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Don't we need mercy every day from God because God is merciful? And don't we need to find grace to help in time of need? Do you know that his love is incomparable today? There is no love we were singing like the love of Jesus. Do you know that his grace and mercy is immeasurable? As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. There's forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be healed. Did you know that his glory is indescribable? Words, they peel into insignificance. Words couldn't paint the picture. It was the bride in the Song of Solomon when asked the question, what is thy beloved more than any other beloved from Song of Solomon chapter 5 gave the answer and then said in the 17th verse, yea, he is altogether lovely. And because she loved him and had been introduced to him and there was a yearning and burning in her heart for him, she was able to talk about him. Now do you have that burning, yearning desire to know Christ? Or is your love for him just cold this morning? You're happy to have a knowledge of other things, things that I've mentioned, but not Christ. A desire to know more of the person of Christ. Let me say secondly and very quickly, a desire to know more of the power of Christ. Look at this phrase, and the power of his resurrection. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, I have to confess, that always puzzled me, because I could never fully grasp him with a finite mind, what that meant. Now, I've looked up the commentaries, and they have said it could mean one of two things. They say it could mean more of the resurrection power of Christ being revealed. Let me explain that. That's the resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead. The power of the triune God is involved in that resurrection of Christ's body from the dead. And uh, the thought is that Paul was longing to experience the demonstration of God's mighty power and resurrection in his own life, the power of the Holy Trinity at work in his life. It could also mean this. The word power means virtue, value, worth, benefit, merit. So, So think of it in that way that I may know the merits, the value, the virtue, the benefits of Christ's resurrection. You see, it's literally the power that's exerted by Christ's resurrection. All the blessings, the covenant blessings by his resurrection, 
In fact, the Genevan Bible has the word power in the margin and it's translated virtue. It's there as a, an alternative reading. You see, to know Christ is to know and enjoy the reality of him as a living saviour. And as you think of his resurrection, think of the benefits of the resurrection. Think of the blessings that the resurrection brings into your life. Think of the merits that you enjoy. How how you should value the resurrection. The commentators suggest that it's vital for the believer's justification. Romans 5 and verse 25. he, He was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. In other words, remember, all we like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord has laid in him the iniquity of us all. The sins of God's people were, were placed in Christ, every sin of thought and word and deed. And he was delivered up unto death because or for our transgressions. And that, that's what Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. This is what Christ did for the lost sheep. And then it says he was not only delivered for our offenses, but he was raised again for our justification. Raised again in light of our justification. That's what it means. Or or on the behalf of our justification. See, on the cross, the Lord Jesus offered a once and for all sacrifice for sin. A suitable sacrifice. a, A satisfactory sacrifice. A successful sacrifice of himself to God the Father for the sins of his people. He, he, he made a complete fulfillment of the atonement. He, he finished the work. In fact, he said, it is finished. He said to the Father, I've finished the work that thou gavest me to do. And God the Father accepted the work. How do we know God the Father accepted the work? The tomb is empty. He is not here. He has risen, as he said. It was as if the Father was saying, son, you've done a great job. Son, well done. And the proof that this is satisfactory and successful and suitable to me, I have raised you again from the dead. See, Paul was saying, my Christ is alive. He's a living redeemer. It's vital for the believer's sanctification. What's the secret of living the Christian life? I was making reference to this at the open air on Friday Galatians 2 and 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, in the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. How can we live out our lives in a fallen world? A world that hates and despises anything to do with Christianity. How can we love Christ? How can we be loyal to him? How can we live for him? Certainly not in our own strength, not in our own power, not in our own ability. But because Christ is alive, he lives in us by his spirit. Uh, and, And we live out our life through the strength and power of Christ. That's the secret. And it's his love that fills our hearts. It's his mercy and grace that we enjoy. It's his joy that we taste of. And it would all be impossible if there's no resurrection. So the resurrection is vital for our sanctification. It's also vital for the believer's glorification. Does the resurrection of Christ not guarantee the resurrection of every true believer in Christ to glory? I believe the answer is yes. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, 
He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. You see, the resurrection of Christ guarantees the resurrection of every true believer in Christ. That's why the Bible says, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. There's two ways to die. You can die in your sins. You can be lost and go to hell for all eternity. Or you can die in Christ and have the assurance that even when your body's in the ground, it'll be raised again like unto Christ's glorious body. Also in this text, there's a desire to know the pain of Christ. Look at these words. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, it's not a strange statement. Now, what does that mean? The word fellowship, we can understand, speaks of intimacy and closeness. and Somebody who's near at hand and someone who's sympathetic and empathetic to us. But suffering, we don't understand. The fellowship of his sufferings. We don't understand suffering because why would any believer want to suffer? Why would we want to have hardship and difficulty and pain? The ministry of Christ, remember, was marked by pain and suffering. The man Christ Jesus, his life was marked by pain and suffering. He was the subject of ridicule, the subject of opposition, the subject of betrayal, the subject of hatred. He didn't suffer because of anything other than who he was and what he was like and what he was doing. He suffered obedience because he was God's son. And when the Bible talks about the fellowship of his sufferings, Paul wasn't thinking about suffering for sins on the cross like Christ. He, 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 he was thinking of this, that suffering for Christ and with Christ and through Christ So that we could commit our souls to God as a faithful creator and doing what was right. We, like Christ, could have a holy hatred for sin. Remember, Christ was holy and hated sin. And therefore the world hated him and rejected him. And the Lord Jesus, we read, learned obedience by the things that he suffered. It's not that he was never disobedient. He never experienced the test of obedience until he suffered in his body. When he suffered for sin on the cross, he was submitting himself to the will of God as Father. And we live in challenging times. And we who are followers of Christ, we want to love him, and want to live for him, and want to be loyal to him. Well, we're too going to face opposition. There's going to be hatred. There's going to be ridicule. And we've got to have a choice. And we've got to learn, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, and strength. I'm going to be loyal to him, come with me. And even if men want me to deny Christ at the point of the sword, it'd be better to die than deny Christ. See, see, that's the thought. Paul counted himself worthy to suffer for him. So, so he was talking about the fellowship, the closeness and the intimacy that when he suffered, he was being like his master. That, that's the thought there. One final thing, a desire to know the purpose of Christ. It says, and made conformable unto his death. 
The word conformable means similar or fashioned. I don't believe Paul is talking about conformity or being fashioned or having a similar death like Christ in a physical sense. Um, because Christ's death was substitutionary, his death was an atoning death. Although martyrs, of course, in a physical sense, did die for the cause of Christ. They, they were true witnesses on the death. But we can also apply this in a spiritual sense. Dying to self. It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. Dying to sin. Having a hatred for sin. Paul says, I die daily. Paul bore in his body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Paul was obedient to God's will. Paul, Paul was a true servant. Paul lived to help others. He, he wanted to edify and do good to the saints of God. Just like his master. See, the Lord Jesus went to the cross joyfully. He went to the cross willingly, voluntarily. He went to the cross obediently. Christ, as far as Paul was concerned, was everything. And therefore his goal in life was being made conformable to his death. I'm dying to self. I'm shut into what the will of God is for me. And I'm going to live in obedience to what my father wants me to do. And he did it joyfully, gladly, obediently, willingly, voluntary, just like Christ. And God gave him the grace to do it. And that's the thought there, being made conformable unto his death. Fashioned in a similar manner with that mindset. And even if it meant physical death for Paul, he was ready for martyrdom to be taken home to glory. Let me ask you in closing, what is your ultimate goal as a Christian? Is your desire to know Christ in his person? Is your desire to know Christ in his power, even in his pain? So, so as you suffer pain, you, you think of the sufferings of Christ. Think of Christ and his purpose. God has a plan for me. And I want to do that plan. I want to fulfill it with the best of my ability. The strength and the help that God gives me so that I can be like Christ. May the Lord take these few stammering words and bless them to you this morning.